Hey. All right, I hope everybody's been greeted. Hope you met somebody new. If you guys would, take your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I told you, uh, told you guys last week we are jumping into a series on 2 Timothy, so we're going to be studying that whole book. So um, if you are right now looking for something to read in your Bible in the morning, like you're going, okay, I want to read it. I don't know where to start. 2 Timothy is a great place to start because not only will we be talking about it on Thursdays, but there's also like incredible applications. If you just like, hey, for the next few weeks, I'm just going to reread this book over and over again. I truly believe that the Lord will show you some awesome, awesome stuff. Um, I was thinking during worship, do you guys still come to revive like expectant for the Lord to do something? That's what I like to hear. <laughs> for real though, like, like do you come to revive still expectant for the Lord to move? Because I'm, I'm thinking during worship, man, I'm hearing, hearing all you guys sing and it's like my favorite time of the week just to stand off to the side to sing with y'all. And, and I'm thinking like there's not a single person in this room tonight that is here by accident. Nor is there a single person in this room tonight that, like, Almighty God does not have a plan and a purpose for why you're sitting in your seat right now. Like, he, he literally has something for each and every one of us to take away tonight. And I wonder if sometimes that gets lost on us, you know, because Revive for a lot of us is a part of our weekly rhythm. Like, you, you guys come here, you're, you're frequent, um, but I just don't want us to lose that expectancy, like every night when we come in, not only like, yeah, I'm here, get to worship, get to uh, sit and listen and talk to good friends, but like, Lord, you have something for me, and I want to know what it is, and I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to just absorb and absorb as much as I can until I see what that is, then I'm going to walk out of here and put it into practice. So don't, like, don't lose that expectancy. That is not a part of what I'm going to say tonight. I just was thinking about that off to the side as we were worshiping, man. Um, like, I, I really truly believe that God wants to do something in your heart tonight. Um, and so lean into that. Whatever that might be, like, like your job over the next however many minutes we have left together is to figure out what that is, walk out of these doors, and put it into practice. Sound good? Love it. Um, hey, so about a year... Before about a year and a half ago, I thought that running should be illegal. Um, now, the exception being like, if someone's chasing you, if you're running from something dangerous, that's fine. If you're running towards something that excites you, also fine. But like, for leisure and exercise... Like, go pick up a dumbbell, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just thought, I thought that running, like, I just wasn't a fan of it. I'm like, why would people subject themselves to that kind of pain and torture for seemingly no reason? I will have you know, my opinions have changed. Uh, as of about a year and a half ago, I guess I decided that I wanted to try to be more disciplined, um, wanted to try to um, stay not only like, you know, like fit, you know, I wanted to, to, try, to, to, to try to stay fit. And so I decided um, that despite my deep hatred for running, I was going to give it a shot. So I went out, started running, um, and I am not a good runner. 
So if you think that this is like my success story, that's not it at all. Um, rather, you know, like I, I'm not super fast. I don't run a ton of miles. Um, but I, I have gotten to the point that I have started to enjoy it. Um, started to. Uh, and I've gotten to the point that, like, this year I've decided, okay, I'm going to do some kind of, uh, of a race. Now, I'm not doing anything that ends in the letters O-N. No marathon, no triathlon, nothing like that, okay? Um, but, you know, maybe, maybe like, some, you know, a little Spartan race, something like that, just to try it out. Um, now, here's what I know. I will go to that race, whatever it is. I haven't signed up for anything yet. And um, I will be among lots of other people there. And I will probably be one of the ones with the least experience, won't have any idea what to do, won't, you know, I'm just there for the fun of it. And there will be people with, like, different speed goals. There will be people who are like, I'm here to win. Uh, there will be people who are like, hey, I just want to finish in the top 50%, whatever. There's people with different goals. But there is one common goal across every single person that will be at that race, whatever it is, whenever it may be. The single goal for every single person at that race is to cross the finish line, right? No matter how fast they, in, they intend to do it, the single goal is to cross the finish line. There will not be a single person that shows up at that race, that pays the entry, that goes through the process of preparation and training, that shows up with the goal to cross the starting line. And that's it. Like, nobody's going to be like, ah, I did it. You know, like, that's just not how it goes. Because, like, when you're a runner, the goal is, I got to make it across the finish line. And I think when it comes to our faith, salvation is like the starting line. But a lot of people think that salvation is really the finish line. Does that make sense? A lot of people see, hey, I'm giving my life to Jesus, and I've done it. I've finished the race. And that's not at all what Scripture has to say about a relationship with Jesus. That salvation is not, it's not the finish line, it's actually the starting line. And you can't succeed in a race if you can't distinguish between the starting line and the finish line. Like, I think a lot, a lot of Christians, or I'll say this, a lot of people, are going to make it to the end of their life, they're going to stand before Jesus one day, and he might say something to the effect of, why should I let you in? Why should you be allowed to get into heaven? And they're going to be like, because I'm a Christian. And he's going to be like, you say that, but you never ran the race. So I'm looking at you saying that you're a Christian, and if you never ran the race, I, I got a question as to whether or not that relationship you claim to have is actually authentic. And, and I just can't help but be really like terrified about the fact that there would be a number of people that thought that salvation was like the finish line. Like once I do that, I'm in, I'm good, race complete, I'll stand before Jesus, he's going to be like, come on in. Salvation, it, it is where it begins, it's not where it ends. And so tonight, what we're going to spend our time talking about is how to run the race well. We're going to talk about like life after the starting line, if you will. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is going to spend these verses telling Timothy, here's what life looks like in between the starting line and the finish line. And so tonight, I'm going to use the word discipleship a lot. 
Like after you cross that starting line, after you make the decision uh, to surrender your life to Jesus, you begin this journey of discipleship. And that is the race that you run until you cross the finish line at the end of your life. You are becoming each and every day a better and deeper disciple of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, uh, how we can run the race well, how, can we, how we can become a good disciple. So um, tonight, no points. We're going to just walk through a few verses in chapter 2, okay? So let's start reading in verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Good place to start. We'll stop there. Paul, um, he writes to Timothy, he says, hey, Timothy, if you're going to run this race, if you're going to be a disciple, you need to know that strength to run this race does not come from you. It comes from Jesus doing something on the inside of you as you stay connected to him. So like our discipleship does not come from our own strength. Like you and your own strength can't just make yourself a better follower of Jesus. It requires you each and every day surrendering yourself to him, staying connected to him, abiding in him. So if you want to run this race well, your job is just, hey, stay as close to Jesus as possible. We've all been to uh, church uh, on a Sunday where, man, it's like the most powerful service ever. You're like crying during worship. You go down front at the end. You're praying. Tears are coming down. And like this is going to be the Sunday that you walk out of church and like 180 degrees after you get out of those doors, life never looks the same. And then what happens? Monday. You wake up and you expect it to be like woken up by the fluttering of angel wings and the angels pour you a cup of coffee. You roll out of bed, you read your Bible, and it's like Jesus is reading the Bible to you. Just, just it's the best thing and then you just glow the rest of the day. Like that's how a lot of people think that this thing happens. But if you've ever been there, you know like it doesn't quite happen like that. Why? Because life doesn't just fall into place once you have a relationship with Jesus. That's, that's not how discipleship works. You've got to begin this process of, of, man, you've got to be as connected to him as you can each and every day. You still have to do that work of remaining in him and abiding in him if you want strength to run this race. That's where discipleship takes place, as close to Jesus as possible. Verse 2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the purpose of discipleship that Paul is now writing to Timothy. He says, hey, strength does not come from you. And if you want to know the purpose of discipleship, you got to see it's wrapped up in what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Like the whole point of us wanting to be a good follower of Jesus, a good disciple of Jesus, is to make more disciples. And this is why, y'all, we as a ministry, like as a college ministry, we are, we are not consumed with, we, are not, we do not have the goal of putting more butts in seats. Like I want you to hear me say that, that that is not our primary goal as a college ministry. Like we don't exist to try to fill as many of these seats as possible. That's why like we're really not about the theatrics 
You're not going to come here and see like a fireworks show going on behind worship, you know, because that's just not the business we're in. We're not going to dump like crazy amounts of money into like gimmicks to try to get people in the door because it's not who we are. Like we care about the people that come in, but our goal is not to put butts in seats. Our goal is to make disciples out of the butts that are in the seats. That makes sense? Like that's our goal because that's what we're called to as disciples of Jesus. That as we grow to be more like Jesus, that, that, that actually is followed by more people coming to know Jesus through our life. That's what discipleship should look like. But in order to make disciples, you've got to be a good disciple. Like you've got to know what it means to, to really be a good follower of Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, in, in these next verses, Paul is going to give three illustrations about how to be a good disciple. Three illustrations. One is a soldier, one is an athlete, and one is a farmer. Now, I'm going to read these verses, and we'll spend some time here looking at these illustrations. It says in verse 3, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Verse 7, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So you guys see there three examples that Paul gives, and the purpose is to explain to Timothy, his protege, his son in the faith. He's trying to explain to Timothy, Timothy, these three things are a picture of a good disciple. So how is that? Well, let's take the first one, a soldier. The soldier sacrifices for a greater mission. A soldier sacrifices for a greater mission. I don't know about you, but man, when I hear the word soldier, I immediately think sacrifice. A soldier is willing to lay down their life for the sake of this mission they've been called to. And Paul, he points to the suffering that he has endured and will endure. And he says, like, I have suffered, verse 3, as a good soldier of Christ. He, sa he says, like, that's what it looks like to be a soldier. He also says in verse 4 that soldiers don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. They eliminate distractions. That's what Paul's getting at. He says they don't, they don't concern themselves with civilian pursuits because they've got this mission that they're called to, so they're going to eliminate any distractions that might stand in their way. There's this laying down of, sacrificing of lesser things for the sake of the mission. That's what soldiers do. And you guys know this if you've seen any like good war movies, right? They are focused on the mission. They've got blinders on to everything that might distract them from that which they have been called to accomplish. That's a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Uh, that, that we would be willing to sacrifice lesser things for the fulfillment of this mission that we've been called to. You know, sacrifice is like a part of life. It's a part of growth. You sacrificed gas in your car to be able to get here tonight. Some of you sacrificed some calories as you walked. Uh, you, if, if you want to uh, have a new body for this new year, you got to sacrifice the Krispy Kreme, right? <laughs> we, we know about sacrifice. But also, like, I mean, think about it in marriage, too. Like, if, if, if I want to have a good marriage, then my wife and I, we have to know how to sacrifice. So, so we, we know this. We sacrifice 
things in order to make progress. And the same is true of our relationship with Jesus. That there are some things that being a good follower of Jesus may require you to sacrifice because they're distractions to the mission that we've been called to. So there are some sacrifices that like all followers of Jesus have to make. Like all followers of Jesus have to be willing to sacrifice worldly desires, right? We know this. You've got to sacrifice your, your desire of drunkenness. You've got to sacrifice your desire to please other people. You've got to sacrifice your desire for the world to revolve around you. Like there are just things that as followers of Jesus, we're all called to sacrifice. But there's also some things that we're not necessarily all called to sacrifice, but you may be called to sacrifice. Like there's specific things for each and every one of us. Like for me, like I'm in a season right now where I've had to, over the past few years, I've had to sacrifice social media because it's just a distraction for me. It's not helping me get closer to Jesus. I spend way too much time on it. And so it's a distraction that I'm having to, in my discipleship, lay aside. I got, I, got to, I got to give this thing up so that I can get closer to Jesus, so that I can accomplish this mission. Uh, not only social media, but like future plans. You guys realize like my plan for my life was not to be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, there may be many of you who, like your plan for your life, maybe you've had it in your mind what you were going to do for as long as you can remember. Maybe other people have like made plans for you. Anybody got like a mom like that? That's like, oh yeah, I know what you're going to, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and so look, it may require as a disciple of Jesus that you be willing to sacrifice future plans that you've made for yourself to answer the call that he's put on your life. And again, this is not every single person. But we, we have to look at our life and go, man, my primary goal is to follow this mission of being as much like Jesus as possible, and I'm going to be willing to lay aside anything that might stand in the way of me doing that. Sacrifice is a part of growth. And isn't that kind of like a race? Like every single step. We're, we're sacrificing. Every single step that you take, you're sacrificing a little bit of pain. You're, you're sacrificing a, a little bit more heavy breathing, but every step that you take is a step of growth. It's one step closer to the finish line. So good soldiers are willing to sacrifice, but not only uh, does Paul use the analogy of a soldier, he also talks about an athlete. An athlete. You know, an athlete conforms to a way of life, right? Like, when you see a Division I college athlete step into a, a program, they, they go to school at the University of Georgia, wherever, and, and they come to a program to play what, any sport, football, basketball, baseball, anything. What takes place is that that athlete signs on to this program, and now they have to conform their life to that program. So they're going to be handed a practice schedule. They're going to be handed a workout schedule. They're going to be handed like a nutrition plan. And all of a sudden, the goal of that program is to go, how can we take this athlete and make them a part of us? They're, they conform to the way of life of that athletic program. What does not happen is that a college football player shows up to the University of Georgia and the University of Georgia is like, Oh, man, we're so glad you're here. What do you want our mascot to be next year? 
like bulldogs, not really cutting it. Let's, let's change it up a little bit. And like, hey, uh, what diet do you want? When do you want to work out? Like, that's not how it goes. The athlete is expected to conform to the program because the athlete has this goal of achieving the crown. In verse 5, Paul wrote, he said, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That's what Paul's getting at. But the, the reason that the athlete conforms to the program is because the athlete's trying to get the crown. There's, there's this trophy that athletes are working towards. We're about to see it this Sunday, right? Any uh, Chiefs fans in the building? Praise the Lord. I knew y'all were a holy group. That is so good. I see you, Caden. Um, but, but you see what I'm getting at. There's, they are willing to conform to this program because there is a greater mission of getting that trophy at the end of the season. That's how, that's, that's how athletes are wired. And in the same way, following Jesus is a way of life. Like when you step onto this team, you are conforming to that new way of life, not expecting it to conform to you. You understand that? You are, you are joining the team, so you're, you are conforming to the way of life of a follower of Jesus, not expecting it to conform to you. When you decide to follow Jesus, when you cross that starting line, when, when you accept God's gift of salvation, there's this process that begins, and that process is the alignment of your life and His ways. It's that your life begins to look more and more and more like Jesus and not the other way around. Like to expect that to take place the other way around, understand this, it is not following Jesus. You're expecting Jesus to follow you and Jesus does not follow you. You follow him. And, and, and I'm saying this because this is where, this is where we're at when you hear people say things like, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to get plugged into a church. Or I want to follow Jesus, but I want to date this person who's not a believer. Or I want to follow Jesus, but I still want to pursue the same sex attractions that I, that I was before I gave my life to Christ. Or, or I want to follow Jesus, but I still want to watch and listen to whatever I want. Y'all, hear me when I say this. When you are a disciple of Jesus, the question that you should be asking is not, how much of my old way of life can I still cling to while still being called a Christian? That is not how this thing works. The question that you should be asking is, how can I be most like Jesus today? It's not this balancing act of like, man, how can I hold on to as many of the things that I used to hold on to before Jesus is possible? That's not discipleship. That is expecting Jesus to follow you, and he doesn't follow you. So our job as, as an athlete, as a follower of Jesus, we conform to this way of life, whatever that looks like. We're, we're willing to lay aside the things that, that used to be true of us before Christ. We lay those aside. We conform to this way of life because we're on his team now. We got the soldier, the athlete, and we got the farmer. The farmer works hard to harvest well. The farmer works hard to harvest well. If you know anything about farming, you know that it's hard work, right? 
Like, we know this, you know, we live in this rural area, and, and there's farming going on all around us. And you know, if you know any farmers, that it is hard work. However, imagine how difficult the work of a farmer was back when this was written, without all the technology that we have today. Like, that is really the emphasis of verse 6. It says it's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Paul draws your attention to the fact that farmers are hard-working. And so what he's doing is he's saying that followers of Jesus should be hardworking. Now, people don't always equate the word Christian and hardworking together. Like when people hear the word Christian, they think of like, all right, they drive a six-passenger van. They have stickers of fish on the back and like little fish for all their kids. And they're in a homeschool co-op and they give each other hugs and like, you know, all the weird things. That's what people think of when they think of Christian. They don't necessarily equate it to hardworking, but that's not the picture that Paul paints. Paul says, no, 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 it's the hardworking farmer that's a picture of a Christian. That there should be like the nature of being a disciple of Jesus uh, should come along with some hard work, should come along with, with, with like us having to have a little bit of grit. Both farmers and disciples of Jesus work hard so they can harvest well. And when I say harvest well, uh, and I'm talking about following Jesus, I'm talking about making an impact in the world for the kingdom of God. Like we work hard in our discipleship so that we can make an impact for God's kingdom in our life. We, we got to work hard for it, right? Like it's not something that's meant to be easy. And here's the thing, though, that should comfort you. When you look at the work of a farmer... The work of a farmer is a joint effort. And I think Paul kind of wants to draw our attention to that. That a farmer plants the seed, they water the seed, they, they cultivate the soil, they do all the things, but it's only God that can bring the sunlight. It's only God that can bring the rain. It's only God that can make it grow. And so it's this beautiful picture of discipleship that it is a beautiful partnership between Almighty God and man, where he allows us to step into his story. And a lot of people hear that and they go, wait a second, but God's sovereign. And so like, what, what, what do I have to offer? Like, what does my work do? And people will go back and forth. Like, like does my work actually matter? If I didn't do anything, would, would, it, would the things that, I'm, that are supposed to be accomplished through my life still take place and back and forth and back and forth? And I'll say this. And I love the way that this is phrased. I didn't write this. God has sovereignly ordained that our work should work as long as he works in it. God has sovereignly ordained that our work should work as long as he works in it. This is why, as disciples of Jesus, man, we got to work hard. We, we serve. We practice the disciplines. We invest our life in a mission bigger than ourselves. That is our role as followers of Jesus. But Paul doesn't only draw our attention to the hard work. You know, farming is not only hard work, it's also a process, right? It, it is a process. It's something that takes time. Like when that seed is planted, the farmer can't see the progress right away. You guys know that? Like that seed gets planted, covered up with soil, and all the farmer can see is the soil, some of you tonight, man, you guys are new believers, and you're looking around tonight, and you're going, like, I want what those other people have. I see the way they worship. 
I see their relationship with the Lord, and I want what they have. And, and maybe for whatever reason, like your circumstances have you thinking that, that you're buried. There's nothing you can do. But look, if we're, if we're using this analogy of a farmer to go, what is Paul getting at? Like, you are not buried. You are planted by an almighty God because discipleship is a process. And so, so you are planted, and in, and in his time and through your faithfulness, he's going to bring the sunlight, he's going to bring the rain, and you are one day, if you are faithful, look up, and you're going to see that what was once this little seed has now grown into this expansive harvest. That's, that's the picture of the farmer. And so Paul gives us these three illustrations to say this is a disciple, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. And this is important. Not only do those give us three individual pictures of what discipleship should look like, but they kind of all collectively paint this picture. Like there's this thread tied through each of those three things that I think we really got to get a grasp on tonight. And that thread is that each one of those things come at a cost. Soldier has to be willing to lay down their life for this mission. An athlete has got to be willing to pay the price of working out and training and practicing long hours in the gym, shooting shots in the batting cage. Like they got to be willing to pay that cost. Farmer has got to be willing to put in early mornings, late nights. They, they, all of these three things have a cost attached to it, which I, I think really causes us to have to ask ourselves this question. What has your discipleship costed you? What has your discipleship cost you? Has it cost you anything? Because I think, I think about it like this. If we're going to look at this illustration that Paul writes and take it at face value, we got to be able to, to understand this truth that discipleship that is uncostly is really likely inauthentic. Discipleship that is uncostly is likely inauthentic. So what has your discipleship cost you? Have you had to lay aside some things that you used to cling to before you knew Jesus? Have you had to put in some hard work? Or does your life look the exact same now as it did before you knew Jesus? There's this cost attached to discipleship. And it's not a cost that is like you begrudgingly pay. It's a cost that, man, each and every day you look at it and you go, man, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to pay the cost that is attached to following Jesus. It's this blessing of being able to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. So there's a cost attached to discipleship. And Paul is about to, in verse 8, he's about to give us an example of what these things look like put into practice. In verse 8, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, for which I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says, 
hey, I've been a good soldier. I'm sitting here in a prison cell chained to a wall for my faith. I know what it looks like to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. I've been a good soldier. He says, I've been a good athlete. I've lived my life doing everything I can to look more like Jesus. Like literally have tried to put the old self, the old self to death so that I can look as much like Jesus as possible. Paul says, I've been a good athlete. He says, I've been a good farmer. I've, I've worked hard. I've poured my life out for this gospel. And I have seen this incredible harvest. I've been a good farmer. And so we're meant in that moment to see those things and go, how? How does Paul do it? Which is why in that verse he makes it clear that the motivation behind everything that he does is the gospel. Did you catch that in verses 8 and 10? In verse 8, he says, remember Jesus Christ. And the, the tag on the end is interesting. He's risen from the dead. He's the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. You see, back then, at the time this was written, there was this confusion. Was Jesus fully God? Was he fully man? Like, like what was it? And Paul says, he was resurrected from the dead. In other words, he's fully God. But he also says that he's the offspring of David, meaning he's fully man. Paul tackles both of those thoughts in the same thing, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he came to earth and he lived a sinless life because you and I, we can't go one sinless day. We can't go one sinless hour. And so Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and then gave his life so that we could experience salvation, so that we could experience eternal life, freedom for our sins. And this is our gospel. And Paul says that gospel is like the gas in the car that fuels everything that I am. I've been changed. I've been made new. The old me is gone. And now I'm going to endure anything so that just one more person might experience this Jesus that has changed my life. How can we live a life that lives up to the picture of the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer? You've got to be so motivated by the gospel that it changes everything about who you are. And you've got to be so passionate about the gospel that you're willing to endure anything just to see one more person come to know Jesus. That is convicting for me to hear. And like, I do this for a living. It's convicting for all of us to hear. Like I'm preaching to myself. I literally have written in my other Bible uh, that, that I write notes in in the morning, the question, how much am I willing to endure to see one more person come to know Jesus? I guarantee you, like me and Paul, we're not even on the same level. We've all got work to do in this area. Like the gospel should be our motivation for why we're willing to live a radical life of discipleship. It's got to be our motivation, but it can't just be, okay, I know the gospel and people need it. It's got to be, I've got to know how the gospel has changed me. And because it's changed me so much, I just can't help but try to share it with other people. It's got to start on the inside and it does with Paul. In this next verse, verse 11, I love where he goes with it. He says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we've died with him, we've, we will also live with him. Contained within this verse is the reality of discipleship. That when you follow Jesus, man, you are set 
free from the bondage of sin. That used to, you could not, like, you could not ignore your proclivity to just drift further and further away from God. You could not make decisions that honored God. You, sure, you could make some decisions that were considered right, but they, weren't, they, weren't, they didn't come from the right heart. Like, now, what you have is you are set free from the bondage of your, of your sin. You're a new creation. You cross the starting line. And the process of discipleship from that point forward is putting completely to death the old you. And that's what Paul says in this verse. If you've died with him, you will live with him. Reminds me of Galatians 2.20. You guys know this verse? Incredible verse to memorize. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And, then I, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. The old me is dying. And my goal is that it will be completely gone. And so here's discipleship in a, nuts, in a nutshell. The more the old me dies, the more the new me dies can live. You're in this process of putting to death the old you. The more the old me dies, the more the new me can live. This is discipleship. And so as the band comes up, I got a question for you tonight. Are you a disciple? Are you a disciple? My hope is tonight that there would have been a bar set, that you would see discipleship maybe differently than you did walking in here. And, and at this point, it's now time for you to look at your life and like ruthlessly evaluate, hey, am I actually a disciple? Have I made the decision to cross the starting line? Or maybe you, maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but maybe you've been living your life going, I thought the starting line was the finish line. And now I've got work to do. I want you to start thinking through that question like, am I a disciple? Verse 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. Great question to ask when we're, when we're trying to figure out, am I actually a disciple? If we endure with him, we're going to step into that, that glory one day. We're going to attain that crown one day, and that crown is reigning with Jesus forever. But we only get it if we endure with him. I want you to understand tonight that discipleship is not about emotion. Discipleship is about endurance. And so many of you, man, whenever you were, maybe you grew up in church, maybe you've been in settings like this, but, but maybe, maybe it was a conference, maybe it was a church, maybe it was a camp, you've ma you made a decision, you walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer. And for, for many of you, that was a life-changing moment, but for some, it was just an emotional decision that you made because you, you felt something. Discipleship is not about emotion. It's about endurance. And so what you need to do is look back on your life and go, hey, have I been running this race? If not, you may not be a disciple. Discipleship is about endurance. 
And so following Jesus is not like, oh man, I made an emotional decision. I prayed an emotional prayer. It's like, have I placed my faith in Jesus and does my life match this faith that I proclaim to have? Let's read the rest to verse 13. The Bible says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Tonight, I want you to hear this, that God is so serious about your relationship with him. He's so serious about it, man. He, he, he loves you. He wants to pursue you like he desires a relationship with you. How crazy is that? And he wrote the book. He makes the rules. And you do not just get to claim him with your mouth and deny him with your life and expect to be able to reign in heaven with him forever. It's not how it works. Which is why it says if we deny him, he will also deny us. And I don't want you to misinterpret the last part of that verse either. Where it says if we are faithless, he remains faithful. A lot of people read that and they go, oh man, it... Like, if I deny him, he'll deny me. But if, like, if I'm faithless, if I mess up, if I, as if, no matter what life I live, he'll remain faithful. And that's a misinterpretation of what that verse means. See, that verse is simply building on the one before it. It's saying that God will remain faithful to his covenant. Uh, meaning that if you, if you try to, if you claim God with your mouth, and deny him with your life, then he's going to deny you because he is faithful to his covenant. But the good news is that if tonight you make the decision to place your faith in Jesus, or if you've done that before tonight and you have a relationship with him, then he is faithful and you cannot be plucked from his hand. That he is faithful to forgive, he's faithful to heal, he's faithful to save souls who are lost. But the question is, are you willing to pay the cost of discipleship? So tonight, my question to you is, are you a disciple? If we could, if you would uh, bow your head and close your eyes. Response is weird in this room. Um, we don't have a lot of room to move around, so I, I like to do this. Man, if tonight you've really been wrestling, like the Lord's put on your heart, hey, I may not actually be a follower of Jesus, but tonight I want to make that decision known. If you would, just slip your hand straight up in the air. Not going to embarrass you, not going to call you out, uh, nothing like that. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Multiple hands. Listen, if, uh, if you're one of those people, man, I would love to have a conversation with you after service. Simply just want to walk through some, uh, so, some steps with you so that you know, hey, where do I go from here? But tonight, maybe you've already made that decision, and, and you know that you have a responsibility now to look more like a disciple. The band's about to sing, and I want you during this song to spend some time asking yourself the question, what does this look like for me? And then like we said when we started, I want you to apply that as soon as you walk out these doors tonight. Let me pray for us. I'm gonna invite us all to stand. And um, let me pray. And we'll worship together. Father, we love you. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the privilege of being your disciples. Lord, I pray that you would make us more like you. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified through the worship of your people and the preaching of your word tonight. We're so grateful for an opportunity to gather together. 
We ask that you would move as we respond. It's in your name we pray. Amen.